Galatians chapter 5. I want to deal with, uh, in our, a healthy church, what it looks like. I've got it that it ministers to one another, and we want to just focus on three things out of the flow of the passage. That a spirit-filled church, and he's saying this in Galatians, walk in the spirit. Uh, you, you are people of the spirit, not the law. Uh, be people of the fruit of the spirit. Be people who take every individual step of your life in the realm of the spirit. So spirit people act a certain way. Now, he tells you three things they don't do in verse 25, 26. Watch. If we live by the spirit, let us also take every individual step. That word for walk, there's individual step, and some translate it keeping step with the spirit. And if you're an in-step with the spirit person, it will take care of three attitudes. Uh, it will deliver you from being boastful or conceited, proud. Uh, I never forget reading Francis Schaeffer's book on the spirit for life. He said the first evidence in Galatians of spirit filling is humility, that you're not proud, boastful about, and this word is vainglory, all just want to hear yourself fussed over, talked about, uh, everything that makes up People's Magazine and Vanity Fair in Hollywood. I want to be, I want to be the latest. I want to be the latest. Uh, spirit filling gets rid of that because he gives you a greater subject to talk about than yourself. Jesus, he always promotes Christ. Two, uh, we, we do not challenge one another. And this is a word that... Uh, you challenge people because you feel superior to them. You know you can whip them, as it were. It, it's what I call the classical uh, school ground bully. You're the bully because maybe you're a little bit bigger than the other kids, or you think you're stronger. And so you get bullies in the church, too, uh, because they're either unsaved or they're not in the spirit. And one reason you have shepherds is to conk them on the head. And uh, they actually do that among sheep and rams. Rams will butt other sheep and kill them. And you have to have shepherds to literally just a rod on the head to hold them in check so lambs are not run over. And so that's part of God's setting up of the church. So those that are spirit-controlled quit being bullies, quit running over people. And then they stop envying other people. When you feel superior to others, and when you feel like you're better than others, uh, you resent others having anything you don't have because you are the better person. You ought to have it. Uh, what is he doing with that? That rightfully belongs to me because I'm superior. And you see how this all just, I feel I'm in love with myself. Uh, I'm a dominant personality. I want to challenge people. I want to win my way. And then... Uh, I resent you for what you have. And it will go further than that, biblically. When you envy a person, you'll find a way to beat them out of what they have. It doesn't usually stop there. So then he gives us three things that spirit-filled people will do in a healthy church towards one another. And I call them these three things. They will bear 
with one another. They will repair one another like you repair a car. They will repair one another, and they will share with one another. Let's first of all see that a healthy, spirit-controlled church is a church that bears with one another. They bear burdens. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. What is he saying here? Well, he's saying that uh, in church life, God intends for us to continuously, it's an imperative, be involved in the weight-bearing among believers. And it's assuming that different ones at different times will have more an excessive life burden on them of which we can give them help and come along and hold them up. And it's, it's just, it's weight-bearing. Uh, it fulfills the law of Christ. Christ said, love one another. And uh, make that love so obvious that unsaved people see it. So the motive of the weight-bearing is we, we love the Lord, and the overflow of that love is we minister to the fellow members of the body of Christ. Uh, and the word here for burdens is often used of oppressive suffering, illness, depression, uh, burdensome taxation, uh, kind of at wit's end. Uh, it has, it may in the context, as we'll be looking, it might be someone living under the weight of guilt, failure, and shame from their sin. And uh, their sin and they're blowing it in the church, uh, they may feel overwhelmed, feel like trash, no good, and shameful. See, shame is a terrible uh, emotion. Guilt says, I'm liable to penalty. I've done the wrong. I've got to pay the dues. And that's, that's one side. But there's another side to sin called shame. It's so deep that I've been so devalued in what I feel worth and what I feel about my person that it's so deep I can't even share it. And I carry it. I, I feel shame. That's what's so heavy about uh, abuse. Uh, it's what's so terrible about uh, sometimes failure in business. Uh, I was a financial whiz and I filed bankruptcy. Uh, even divorce. Uh, what, what went wrong? What went wrong? Or a child that's breaking your heart. Wow, I've been going to church. I thought I was doing it God's way. And now I've got a child that uh, is into this, into that. Uh, it's too deep. They won't even tell you what it is because they feel ashamed. I was saying how that uh, I was watching uh, this documentary on the Dust Bowl that literally took place in Amarillo area, that panhandle, Oklahoma panhandle, parts of Kansas. It was a limited geography, about 300 miles wide, in which some days in a dust storm, 
300,000 tons of dirt would move from the panhandle to Colorado. Because when the uh, uh, Texans and Oklahoma, Kansas people were having bountiful wheat crops, they got where they tore up all the prairie grass. And they took up all the roots that held all of the soil in windy conditions. But they were having these crops, so they kept tearing that grass out, plowing not as deep, creating sand that just the wind come through there. Whom? And the documentary said people in Colorado were eating dirt that came from Texas or from Oklahoma. And so we had a mass migration in the 30s. Then you've got a Great Depression going on. And many of you that come from that era, uh, I've heard my parents talking, I've heard others, you never turned down a hobo because the tracks came through. And I've heard it with many country people. If a man comes to your back door and asks for a biscuit, you don't say no if we've got it. Anybody hear that kind of stories? See, hard times everywhere. Everybody out of work. A dust bowl. Poverty's everywhere. So felt needs were everywhere. But now I look out here today. You all look well-dressed. You drive decent cars. We try to get the bad ones down at the parking center. Uh, you, look, you look good. There's no problems in this room. There's no burdens. And you're saying under your breath, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew what I'm living with. If you only knew the sorrow. That is too deep for me to put it on a prayer card. And it's harder, it's harder to find out what burdens people are carrying because we're a very private culture and we're not a communal culture. We are, you drive in your garage door there, you go in, your neighbors see you pull in, pull out. Carolyn and I often laugh, what do our neighbors think? There's so much going in and out at that place. And, and you don't want to know your neighbors. What do I know? I know a few, but uh, who wants to know neighbors? We knew our neighbors. Did anybody ever go to a neighbor's house when you grew up and your mama said, go and ask them for uh, this much sugar? I'm talking to my folks now. You, you, and the kids, we didn't feel like, you go over there and tell Mrs. Boone, you want this much flour. I ran out of flour. Do you think I'd go over to my neighbors and say, oh, we, we ran out of sugar? Say, well, sugar baby, you came from the wrong house. Because it was community. We were all in it together, white and black in South Richmond. Well, most of us came from the South. Our people did, the Midwest. So, man, you were just, you're in it together. And it's a burden. Are you kidding? We're all under oppressive economic burden. But today, and even in the church here, a persecuted church, it's easier, it's more sophisticated in our day. It seems like we're probing or prying, but I think of different burdens. I think of a family. One of our deacons, his wife, been living with the battle, taking severe treatments for cancer, raising a boy they adopted. Do you think there's any burden going on? Uh, we went to uh, Billy Swanson's 38th birthday party Wednesday. How would you uh, feel as a mother 
If they said, your boy has spinal bifida, we don't think he'll live to be over two years of age, and you're going to have to take care of him, you have to get him in the wheelchair, get him to the toilet, put him in the hospital innumerable times because bed sores have a way going to the bone when you lay on a bed for most of your life. And when your father always has to take you to the restroom, and your father always says, do you think he has any of the dignity of a 38-year-old man? Yeah, he does. His body just won't perform. Think there's a burden there. Lots of burdens. And they're of all kinds of varieties, economic, children, relationships. It's, it's unending. It's unending to the sensitive soul. Some of you could sleep through a burden factory because your eyes aren't open. You're not walking in the spirit, so you can't have that sensitivity. But those who are walking in the spirit have an, a radar in them that pick up people burdens. And uh, they, they help get another into the load help them carry it. They can't remove the load. They can't drink the cup for them. Uh, they can't get rid of it totally. Because he says in verse 5, everybody must bear his own load. It's a different word in the Greek, and it literally meant a knapsack or like a soldier's backpack. And it's everybody in life has certain duties. Uh, pay your taxes, raise your children, buy the groceries, clean the house, uh, see the dinner, just life has its own set of burdens that none of us can escape. But then there are those oppressive burdens, death, disease, debt, money, uh, relational, all kinds of hurts that sometimes you feel like you're drowning. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, I want the body to be so organically tied to one another that we have mutual care for one another if the finger hurts, I want the eye to get the ointment and get the prescription to apply it. I don't want the eye to say, well, it's not my problem. I'm not a finger. I don't want the ear to say, well, I don't, I don't need to listen to a doctor. It's too bad your hip's bad. I better listen to the doctor and my ear tells me what to do to deal with the problem. And he said, you're so connected in the body of Christ that if one member suffers, we all suffer. If one weeps, we all say, too bad. That's his problem. No, 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 no. It just tells you the spirit isn't working in you. When one weeps, we can weep. I'll tell you this song. I want Jesus to walk with me. I went to a church and said, we shouldn't be singing those kind of songs. The pastor said, don't sing those kind of Matter of fact, he said, don't sing anything written in minor. It's too woeful. I can't reach a culture. They want more rock sound. They can't stand minor. And so I had these pastors tell me that. I said, well, you go tell him. I run with folks that live in the minor. I live with folks that are living in la-la land. We're not all driving beamers, and we're not all making big money, and we're not all spoiled brats. We come through tough times, sorrows pain, and sometimes I'm born to groan. And Romans says, you shall groan in this world. And sometimes I just want to groan. I'm not asking to feel a rock beat. I want to say I need somebody to walk with me while I'm singing in the minor. 
Not trying to be the latest top ten sound. Trying to get in touch with the woe that we groan with all creation where there is a present tense groan in the believer that we can minister to. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7 that he was so depressed and out of it that God who comforts the downcast sent Titus to comfort him. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say he turned in Swindoll's sermon. And he didn't send him an apostle. He sent him a Greek convert named Titus. And Titus came and saw Paul, and Paul said, God lifted me up by the visit of a man. i got to ask you this. If you're spirit people, if we're a healthy church, it would mean that if you're a person carrying a burden and a sorrow greater than your poor heart can bear, that by the time a brother or sister comes alongside, talks to you, visits to you, and when they go, you should be able to say, my burden is much lighter. Thank you, Ralph. Don't say, Job's comforters just left. They told me I shouldn't have this problem. They told me this and that. They told me that. You know all the theory people. They've got all the theory. They've got a lot of verses memorized. They just have no heartaches. They haven't come through squat. Don't waste your time listening to them. That's why certain age categories can't minister to you. Have you been there? Have you tasted it? Do you know? What do you say to a man overwhelmed with sorrow? It's like, take my hand, precious Lord. If you know the history of that song, Thomas Dorsey was a singing black evangelist. He got word that his wife in Chicago was giving birth to their first child. He came back from his meeting, went to the side of his wife. And while she was dying, giving birth, and sorrow was flooding his heart, all he could say is, take my hand. Take my hand. And Paul tells me that when he first sang it in church, he said, I just wrote a song at the bedside of my dying wife. Take my hand, Lord, and lead me. And one of the black mothers of the church got up and rebuked him. Don't you call him Lord. You got to add precious. He's precious. He's not just Lord. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me on through the light, through the night with the light from above. See, with you, it's a ditty. With him, it was a testimony. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Have you ever been there? You just wouldn't have made it had God's comfort not showed up in somebody, some way. He said, we ought to bear one another's burdens. Two, we ought to repair one another. Let's end to verse 1. You thought I forgot it. I didn't. Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, all you proud ones say, yippee, we gotcha. No, if anyone is caught, they, other words, they weren't intending, it seems to be a trap. They walked too close to temptation. Uh, they, they made a misstep. It literally means to fall down, by the way. They, they made a misstep. Uh, David wasn't planning to go to bed with Bathsheba. There's nothing in the text that he planned it. It happened. 
That's what is so dastardly about sexual temptation. It doesn't need a plan. Boom. You've done it. Just like that. And he said, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Three things we ought to consider. What to do when a brother falls into sin. Who should do it. And how we ought to do it. What should we do when a brother falls into sin? Well, uh, you that are spiritual, which assumes you that are being walking in the spirit, you that are right with the spirit, the normal, you're, you're healthy. You're in a healthy relationship with God. You, uh, you're the one, you're the workforce that God would call on to help restore them. So what should we do? Uh, he said we should restore them. And this word restore literally meant uh, fix it to function as it was originally intended. And it was used of mending broken nets. The net's broken. It cannot function like it was intended. It was used medically of setting a broken bone. Uh, the leg can't function until that bone is set. It's a brother that through his sin uh, as injured himself, uh, the net's been rent, the life is out of sorts, and uh, what should be done? He needs to be restored. Now, you can see the proud won't do it. They'll gossip about him, but they won't restore him. And so he said, we should get in there. If a brother or sister is overcoming a sin in a church, we who are spiritual will say, well, we're not going to leave them there. We're going to help restore them. That's what we do. Who should do this? Those that are characterized by the Spirit. They're spiritual. And then, uh, uh, how should this be done? How should this be done? Uh, do we give them a little lecture while we're restoring them? Or saying, what, you, dummy, how did you ever do this? Uh, you sure flubbed up, goofball. Man. Cut it out. No, no, no. Watch what he says. We ought to do this in a spirit of gentleness. And that word gentle, it's a hard word to get a handle on, but it was used of mild animals. It, it Literally, they used it for taming an animal. They used it of mild wine. Uh, have you seen some people you thought, I hope they are never on my restoration crew? You've seen some doctors that way. Uh, I hope he works on hippos and not people. His manner is so obnoxious. No bedside manner. Uh, he said, when you do this, it's to be gently, mild, tame. And while you're doing it, you're doing it in such a humility that you're thinking, there go I, but for the grace of God. I've been chosen of God to help restore you but you know what, brother? Uh, I could have done the same. Matter of fact, you should have seen me two years ago. I was right where you are now. Because in life, with burdens and with needing to be restored, we'll all have experiences where the weight's too heavy and we need help, and we get the privilege of returning the favor, lifting weight. And so in this restoration, uh, oh, this time I blew it. I said a word I shouldn't have said or 
uh, I manifested anger. I was wrong in it. And somebody corrected me, uh, restored me, said, you, you were wrong there. Uh, and I don't want to say, I got you. I got, but in love and in a tame spirit, in a mild manner. Uh, Pastor, I think you need a change in this area. Who do you think you're talking to? A brother. Uh, can you restore, Pastor? You know what scares me? Is most churches, you got to leave if you ever fail in that church. Most pastors have to leave. Uh, had a pastor friend that fell into immorality and lost his church, lost his professorship. I made a call. I said, hey, Jim, I, I hear uh, you fell into sin. Yep. Uh, what are you doing? Well, I resigned the church, and uh, I'll have to be moving. I'll be doing this and that. Now, let me say where most of the church is. Right there, you say, how could he have done it? Why did he do it? And, and, <laughs> and there's a feeding frenzy. Let me ask you a question. When did the pastor quit being a brother? There's two sides here. He lost the pastor. Step down. He's not pastor. Do you think that was hard? Do you think that was shameful? Do you think his wife and kids who had a family were not rocked by that? But guess what? The Christian community after that, it's too bad. You're scum. Because you're not eligible for restoration because you were a pastor. You say it's wrong, but it's what happens. Because you quit being a brother. Now, does that mean we ought to keep everybody living that falls in adultery in the pulpit? No, 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 no. We're just saying, once you get them out of the pulpit, and let's say you put them in the pew, now what do we do with them? I can't hear you. Well, that sounds good. You said the right answer. Would you dare try? What would I do? What would I do? What would I, uh, uh, uh. Well, would you tell him there's forgiveness in the cross? Would you tell him there's grace? Would you, would you tell him I could have done it? But no, no, no. What you see, with so many of the church, they have to say, I've done it 50 times, but I wasn't a pastor. And you guys embraced me when I came to Christ. I came dirty. I came filthy. So my greatest trials when I was going through it with my daughter and had great trials is some of the biggest rounders had all of a sudden got so pure they needed to stone me. And I'm thinking, you were a hell raiser when I met you. When are you going to learn to restore somebody? You're the last guy that needs to go out judging. You need to say, I broke all the rules, and the grace of God redeemed me. Now, you ought to pass on that grace. Pass on that grace. Don't endorse the sin, but pour in the oil. Pour in the wine and, and pick them up. I don't care who it is, unless the pastors aren't brothers. And these verses don't apply. I'm using me to shock you. But now what about someone in the pew? They do some sin. Should we tell them to look for another church? Should we look the other way? I ain't going to touch it. We all do it, you know. No, we all don't do it. Because we get this humble bit like, well, you know, I could be tempted too. So what? Until you're tempted, help restore. And so we just say people, they just die in our congregations. And we're all preaching grace and living law and living stonings. Because 
I, I'm not going to go around now. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I think of two men that used to be officers in this church going through great times, hard times. One in the marriage, one uh, with a child. And in the midst of their great trials, uh, they wanted to leave this church. Uh, they were ashamed. They were, they were overburdened, believe me. I used to always tell them this. Uh, stay here long enough so we can suffer with you and get you well. And once you're well, any church wants a well guy. We want you when you're bleeding. You're good men. You're officers. We've watched your life. Would you please let us men weep with you, cry with you, suffer with you until God restores you? And they did, both of them. I like to say here, young person, if you're 13 or 12 and you fall in sin here and I find out about it and nobody goes to you, I will. And I'm going to tell you, don't be fornicating. I don't care what age you are. We actually had hormones in my generation. But God can forgive you. God can give you strength. And we will not reject you in the meantime if you want to do the right. It's okay to fail in this church unless it's the first church of the perfect. And if it is, I have not met any of them. You're not, you don't know what I'm saying. It, it, because people say, where do you go when you fail? Well, go, go to the bar. They won't judge you as long as you order a drink. No. He said the body repairs itself. The cells just rust to a place where you cut yourself. God designed this body to just, man, the blood's there. Pretty soon you got a scab. Pretty soon you're healing. Pretty soon you either got a scar or nothing. You, man, you're well. I look at my hand, fingers I nearly cut off in a horse machine is another bratty kid. Man, my poor folks, I was always doing stuff. But I got the scars, but the body healed. It healed. And the body can take sin if we scourge it out, repent, and go on. You don't need another church. You've got to stay in the church where forgiven sinners are welcome. Forgiven sinners, not sinless sinners. There is no such thing. Then he said, we ought to be people who share with one another. In verse 6, he said, we ought to share with those who teach the word. And this church does it. You've underwritten pastors and Bible teachers in this church for many, many years. Not just me. There's many of us on staff that you pay our rent, you buy our gas, you buy our food, you set us free from secular pursuits. You, this congregation, you do verse 6 or we wouldn't be free. God bless you for how much you share with us pastors. Thank you. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. He's saying there's only two fields you can invest your life, the flesh or the Spirit. Uh, and if you invest in the flesh, uh, you'll pander to it, cuddle it, stroke it. Uh, you'll fall into various sins of the flesh. You fall into peevishness, critical spirit, uh, probably some form of sexual misbehavior, even if it's thought life. Uh, you, you, 
you, you only got two fields to invest in here. The flesh that he's described up in chapter 5 or the things of the Spirit. And, and you've only got this time, this opportunity. Where do you want to invest your time, your influence, your money? In things of the Spirit and reap eternal reward or the things of the flesh that, what does he say? If it's after the flesh, uh, it just leads to corruption. And back in verse 21, he said, if you invest in the flesh too long, you'll be a person that's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You'll give evidence you don't even know God. So think of those guys you work with on the job that are not believers. Their check, their income, everything goes for the flesh. Their toys, their kids, whatever, but no eternal reward. You and I, we get to take money, our life, our influence, invested in things that are eternal. We just, and just eternal. Uh, that's, I don't know where else. E.F. Hutton can't give you that good a deal. Let's take Bill Gates. Let's take uh, Warren Buffett. In verse 10, he tells us, in, be good to all people, but especially those of the household of faith. Let me ask you this. How much money do you think the Bill Gates Foundation is giving to the gospel? Zero. He's doing some great things to help kids beat diseases and things. I commend it. It's wonderful. Warren Buffett, have you heard of any great donations to the church? And there's a lot of great stuff. We need medical research, whatever. But he says, when you get in a battle for where you invest your money and your life, who is going to support the gospel if we don't? There was nothing on our last ballot that Jerry Brown put together that said help the church. Nothing on the latest government budget that I know of. Please support missions. Please support Agape funds. Please keep trying to meet the needs of West County youth by setting some pastors free. Who supports that? And some of you say, well, I give my money here. I give it there. Do good to all men. And if you've got lots of bucks, honey, give it every place you want. But most of us don't have a lot of bucks. So when you've got to choose where, he said, be sure to put it in the household of faith. So when, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Anybody got that in your Bible? Okay, I didn't make that up, did I? Verse 10. Now, listen to me. There's a problem, and that is verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Let me tell you what this first word, lose heart, means. First of all, it means don't lose heart. Secondary meanings was to flag or faint. But it had a word, uh, there's a word for evil in there that says don't give in to evil. Sometimes you think you, you can't outdo evil. It multiplies faster than what you're able to do. Never forget riding with Sequamp, Sequamp Batia. We're riding down a street in New Delhi. 
And one day he said, Pastor, I can't tell you how overwhelmed I feel to be trying to reach a billion people with the minimal resources I have. And some days I just want to throw up my hands. I'm offered professorships back in the States. Dallas wants me. This church wants me. They all want me in the West. And I can go any moment. I got double PhDs. But this harvest, does anybody see a harvest in India? And as I feel overwhelmed. The second word he said, use here, lest we grow weary. The word uh, means that we be loosed. Unloosed is the idea. And it means to be dissolved, to be so weakened we fall apart. And there's some verses. In this one verse that we give in to evil, Jesus said, pray lest you lose heart. Pray lest you throw in the towel. If you quit praying, you will resign. It's why we go through Sunday school teachers. We got some mainstays in Awana. We got mainstays in every department. I think about our nursery. Uh, tell me, where in the Bible does it say you've got to get volunteer women to change other people's kids' dirty diaper so they can hear the Word of God? You got any Bible for that? We got women over there right now changing your kids' dirty diaper. And some of them have been doing it. You know what? We fired Fran Howard years ago because she spent 20 years and came and saw me one day. She said, Philip, I've backslid in this church. And I said, how's that? She said, I haven't been in a service for nearly 20 years because I never was able to have children, and I've given my life in, in working in the nursery because I want young mothers to hear the word. Do you think they would ever get weary? Have you ever written a note, one note to one nursery worker as you pick up your child that says, thanks for freeing me up to hear the word of God? Or do you say, well, I hope you treat him good. Do you know how bratty your kid is? We give our, we give our workers rabies shots from your kids. <laughs> but uh, uh, you better you be good to me. Uh, no, no. Wait, you cut it out. When's the last time you gave an encouragement card to a Sunday school teacher or a youth worker or an usher? When an Ernie buries his wife on Friday, he's ushering this church on Sunday. Don't get weary, Ernie. Bury your wife, but show up and do your usher duties. Some of you are weary from just being lazy because you can feel weary just watching TV all day. At the end of the day, you say, I'm so tired. Yeah, it takes so much energy to reach for those chips. I'm just exhausted. Yeah, yeah, well, it's called potato chip exhaustion. If you look in that mirror, you got that shamu look. You, you better get yourself together. But this is about folks working. People restoring people. Uh, this is about bearing one another. I'm tired of bearing burdens. We had a woman, leader, that broke down crying as one of our elders had made contact with her during the week. And could I pray with you? Could I help? Just lend a helping hand. 
we, we have our elders. They take so many names. Any of you being called by your elders and is checking on you? We're not trying to get your dental chart or Social Security. We're just trying to say, we know you're here. We're trying to say we love you. If there's a need, we want to know. So don't, don't be rude to the elders that call, please. I, if I need anything, I'll call you. Please, Sister Gentle, cut it out. You ought to be saying, thanks for caring. Thanks for caring. But this sister said, you know what? I'm used to always making the call. I've never been called. You mean you care? The 20% of us in this church, Ron said he gave out for receipts this year. 1,200 people gave something. 500 of them gave less than $200. That's, that's less than five bucks a week. And you wonder why we talk about giving. We don't talk enough. And when we were in our last stewardship campaign, among us, when we were planning, we thought, well, our people are going to have giving fatigue. There's only certain ones in this church that ought to have that. That is the folks who give. The rest of you are just tired of being guilty. But you haven't done anything about it. You're still guilty. Because you're in sin. You don't believe. You don't believe. You're lying through your teeth. When you won't share finances and share your life with a cause you say you believe in, lie to somebody else. God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And if you're putting all of your time and your money in things of the flesh, don't be surprised that you're going to get a corruptible crop. I'm investing my life, what's left of it, in things that are eternal. And Adoniram, as I read the life of Adoniram Judson in the book To the Golden Shore, when he went to Burma, for seven years he labored before he had his one convert, and in the meantime he buried his wife, and I believe it was one or two children. One convert in seven years, and he translated, he finally gave us a Bengali Bible that Bill Berwick, that we used to support, updated. Some of you don't have a harvest coming because you've already fainted. You've thrown in the towel. I wanted to leave this church in the midst of a trial, and Robert Richardson came one time, and uh, we went out to lunch, and he said this to me. He said, you know, Pastor, I discern that you are punch drunk. Since I'd never been a boxer, I sincerely, I said, could you clarify being punch drunk? Let me illustrate. All you hoods know. I said, I bet a man of the cloth. He, he, he said, oh, I'll tell you what punch drunk is. He said, that boxer says, bah, bah, right there. You've been hit so hard. Stars are there. You feel imbalanced. And he says, you have nearly maybe a split second, maybe more, to make a choice. You can go to the mat, and guess what? You're no longer a target. That sounds pretty good. When you're trying to get through the stars. But he said, but in that split second, you've got to wait. You, you know, he said, I might be able to beat this thing if I can get my, get my composure. And you've got a second. And he told me, he said, you've got a second, Pastor. Can you, do you want to remain on your feet? You'll still be a target. There will still be blows. 
But you know what? You might be able to beat this thing. I chose to remain on my feet. And God delivered me. God delivered me. And some of you, you may have been, boom, the trials of life, you've been ambushed. You've been hit. Don't give in. Don't throw in the towel to evil. Don't give in. Don't resign just because you had a bad week or a bad day. Discouragement, depression. You might have even sinned, God forbid. I believe that's why he gave us 1 John 1. Now, when you sin, confess it. I'll cleanse you. I'll put you back on your feet. I'll dust you off. And guess what? This church, hear me, the church in the book of Acts, everybody that was a leader in that original church had all failed 50 days prior. They, everyone, were cowards 50 days before. And God said, I can build a church with failing sinners if they'll just run to me and count on the Holy Spirit. I'm using failing men and failing women to get my work done because I want to give other sinners hope. If I could put up with that much out of the church, surely I could save you from the streets. Amen? I ask you this question. Uh, how are you sharing your life with anybody else? Are you a burden bearer? Why not? Um, life eventually is going to put you in one place or the other. The one burden or the one that gets to help carry it. Two, uh, are you a person that can help repair the body? I am amazed, hear me, at the piddly issues that happen in a church that people get all offended about and stay wounded or bear a grudge for a month. Bear this. See, we got people going to hell. We've got needs galore, and you're over here getting offended over mosquito bite issues. When in the world are you going to walk in the Spirit? The Spirit will give you a hide of a rhinoceros and the heart of a mother. Get over it. Endure hardness like a good soldier which means you can lay in a wet foxhole all night and not gripe. It just comes with being a soldier. But most of you don't want to be in a war. You want to be in the millennium, and we're not there yet. Can we repair the body? I thrill at the people in this church that have gone through church discipline that are still a part of us. They got well here because the body rallied to lift them up and said, come on, let's keep going. Let's keep going. 